So many of you may or may not know is that I work for a travel company. And we build tours and design tours, and we send people all over the world. And we send people on journeys all the time. But, but before people go on those journeys, they usually call in, and they have a lot of questions. They have a, lo a lot, many, many questions. I heard a little giggle of those that work at the company. So that they have many questions about what to expect on the tour. And so that's just natural when you're going on a journey to have questions. And the life of a Christian is a journey. And so it is natural for us to have questions. It is natural for us to have doubts, to have concerns, to have reservations, to have fears, to have things that, that bother us and almost stop us in our tracks from going on the journey. Sometimes the people that travel with us on tour, we have to talk them down from the cliff and get their minds at ease that they're okay because we travel to the Middle East. We travel to the Middle East into Israel, and so just right away there's a stigma because some of these people, they never have traveled overseas ever before. And so they're going for the first time. And so when they, what they, they are asking for is they want to know what to expect. And so what happens on a tour is, is that we, we uh, design the tour, we set it up, we, place the, uh, we prepare the flights to take them overseas. And when they get overseas, they're met by our representative and our representative puts them on a bus. And the bus is going to take them on their journey. Now there's one very important person that must be a part of that journey if the tour is going to be successful. And that is a guide. On any tour that we've ever operated, the guide is the most important person. The guide sets the tone. The guide knows where the tour is going. And so if the group didn't have a guide, they would just be sitting there without any direction. I kind of contemplated that a little bit and said, you know, if I sent a group over there, they got on the bus and there was no guide and they're just sitting there and they're just looking around like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to eat? Where are we going to sleep? And so the guide is the most important person on the tour. And the reason why the guide is the most important person on the tour is first, they have knowledge that we don't have. When you come over into a foreign land, especially into Israel, there are things that you just don't know. But the person that's guiding you on the tour knows, that, knows everything for the most part because they live there. They experience every single day what it is that the group is going to experience. Second, the reason why the guide is the, one of the most important persons on the tour is they know where we're going because they've already been there too. They've already traveled that tour journey many, many, many times. And third, they know which way we will travel because they have mapped the course. Sometimes they have the responsibility to say, this is the route we're going to take. Speaks with the bus driver and says to the bus driver, we're going to take this road because this problem is taking place. The guide has that kind of special knowledge, special insight into, uh, into that journey. Fourth, 
The reason why the guide is very important is that they know we will see, they know what we will see and encounter along the way because they know the terrain. They, they know how it is that we're going to travel and what we're going to travel through. They also know how to address any problems and troubles that arise. They bring us to know, uh, to have the knowledge how to avoid delays and obstacles and traffic jams. Because in the end, what they're doing is they're providing care, direction, and comfort to the group. If the group doesn't feel like they're provided for, that they're tended to, that they're cared for, that they have no direction, it's going to be a disastrous tour, I promise you. And so that's what our psalm is teaching us tonight, because our heart needs guidance. And when the people are calling in and they're asking what to expect on a tour, what they're asking for, they're asking for reassurance. They're asking for reassurance. And here in the psalm, that's what we're receiving. That's what our heart receives. We receive guidance and reassurance in this life. And as the people are, are calling and talking to us about the tour, they're entering into a travel experience. So I encourage you tonight as you read the psalm, and I encourage you anytime that you read the psalm, enter into the emotion of what is being written. Feel what it is that the writer is saying. Hear the angst. Hear the desperation. Hear the cries that are being made by the psalmist because through them, God brings them to a sweet resolve that only God can do. That only God can do by bringing them through the experience emotionally in a real and tangible way to see that they are being drawn near to God. And so we can only draw near to him as we are guided by his word. That's what we see here in the psalm. And so we're going to first enter into that experience by asking questions. Just like those who go on tour with us overseas to Israel, they ask questions because they want to experience what they're going to experience before they experience it. And that's what this, this psalm does. It tells us what we're going to experience before we experience so we can be guided and directed and cared for and provided when those moments come. And so the first question that we could ask is what does the path look like? What's the path of our journey look like? We hear in the first uh, two verses of our text, it says that the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That implies something about our path. It implies that our path is dark because we wouldn't need light if it wasn't dark. And there the psalmist is telling us that we have a guide. We have a guide that's going to show us where to go even though that path is dark. And so we gain some hints from the psalmist that the path is dark because we need light. 
So let's ask ourselves and stop a little uh, just for a moment and say, why is the path dark? Because if we don't know why the path is dark, then why do we need the word? A heart that is in this world, it is in darkness from the beginning. The heart that is without God has no light. One theologian said at best is that as far as man got out, out of the garden, the further that they got from the garden, the more light they lost. Because when they were in the garden, they had the light of God. They had the fellowship with God. They were walking with God, talking with God. But when they sinned against God, they were cast out of the garden. And the further and further that they were thrown out of the garden, the light went out. So much that people decided, I'm going to build a tower to Babel. I'm going to become jealous and I'm going to commit murder. Sin became at its, at its height that God had to destroy the world because sin was at its height by a flood. Because the light had gone out. The world was dark. And so we see we have to have light in this world, or we're going to spiral just like that. We're going to spiral in life by having our own way, trying to become God by taking God down from his throne and building a throne up to heaven that we would be God. Or that we would sin and be about all the frivolity of life, so much having no regard for God whatsoever that all we could expect is his judgment. Second, the path is dark because we are ignorant from the beginning of how to live right with God and in fellowship with him. Sin did that to us. When the Bible speaks about darkness, it's speaking about ignorance. Not a lack of knowledge is darkness. A lack of knowing God, a lack of knowing how to live right with God is darkness. That darkness can breed many things. It can cause us to have missteps in life. It can cause us to have indecision in life. It can cause us to stumble. It can cause us to fall. Because when we don't know where we're going, we're just grasping in the dark. We're hoping that we're finding our way when we have no light. But when the word of God is given to us as a light, we see because God is guiding us, God is directing us. Darkness, the path is dark because we have no moral compass that could lead us into the presence of God without light. When we fell in Adam, we died. And by dying in Adam, we were depraved. We had no hope. No, uh, no uh, way, no ability, no power within us anymore in how to approach God. The way had been barred. The garden was not open to us. But thanks be to God that God, out of his grace and mercy, declares that he's going to provide a way by sending a redeemer. He sends a redeemer that the, the serpent would be destroyed and that the seed of the woman would live. 
that gives us light. That gives us hope because it says to us, we don't have a moral compass unless God does intervene in grace. If God does not enter into his world in grace, we have no hope in this world. And lastly, to know that the path is dark is to know that the path is hidden from our natural sight. Many can look into creation, see the light of creation, and know that there is a God. And Romans even says that. That creation is without any excuse to acknowledge that there is a God. And in fact, if you say there isn't a God, it's because you're suppressing that information. You're pushing it down. You're pushing down the truth that's right before your eyes, but that truth can't save you. The only truth that can save you is the light, a special revelation. Natural revelation doesn't save you. It just holds you accountable to a God that is holy. Special revelation saves you because it points you to the true light, Christ Jesus. Special light directs you. Special revelation shows you it uncovers that which is hidden that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And special revelation is the word of God. It is what God gives to us to reveal to us his plan of salvation. Because we need his light to lead us and direct us so we can see where we are going so we can ultimately get to where we are going. When we hear that terminology, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, the illusion is of these caravans that were taking place in the dark. They were traveling in the dark, and they needed the light to direct them in the direction in which they go, but they also needed the light to show them the path that they were on. That's so indicative of what the life of a Christian is. We need the light of God's grace directing us home because we're in a world of darkness. And without his love, without his grace shining bright in this world, we can never find our way home. But as we travel on that way home, we're on a path. We're on a path that's full of danger. We're on a path that's full of slips and falls that are high, that will grow up mountains. And we need to be directed by seeing where it is that we walk. Have you ever been like in an amusement park or in some place where the lights went out? I mean, pitch black that you can't even see your hand before your face because it's so dark. And you're like, I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm lost. But all of a sudden, you see someone waving a light. And as you get closer to them, they begin to point that light down by your feet to make sure you don't fall. Now, the reason, of course, in a business why they're doing that is they don't want to get sued because of the liability that will come by falling. But the, the, the premise is the same. There needs to be a light that shines down upon our feet so that we can see where we're walking. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. The psalmist is saying to us, 
something about the word of God. Something precious about the word of God. That the word of God is not simply the vessel that gives light, but it is light itself. And so if that is true, then how should our heart be inclined in this world? Should our heart be inclined to follow philosophies and teachings and instructions that are outside of the word of God? Because those philosophies and those instructions and those theories and whatever they are that stand in opposition to the word of God is darkness. They may look like light, but they're false lights. We have that danger in the world that there are many false lights in the world, but the word of God is not one of them. Because the word of God reflects the glory of the one who gave it. The word of God reflects the light of the glorious God who gave it out of his special love and mercy that we can find our way home. And we find here that great treasure in the word of God that we can find nowhere else. And so let us have comfort and peace that God is directing, God is caring for us, God is a shepherd, he's leading us, he's directing us, and he's guiding us. And so when we think another question that will come up on the journey, okay, so many times as we look upon the journey of those that we send overseas, that question will come out, uh, basically, is it going to be easy? Is this journey going to be easy that I can do it? And you know what the word of God says to us? That road's going to be hard. Christian, the word, the life that you're going to live in this world, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Let's not be disillusioned. The psalmist doesn't want us to be disillusioned. If the, if the word of God is like to show us truth, truly it is, then it will show us the truth about the Christian life. And the Christian life is hard. And the reason why it's hard, he gives us three reasons. In verse 107, it says, I am severely afflicted. Because the life of a Christian is a life of affliction. It's not without affliction. There is a guarantee to the Christian that you will be afflicted. And the reason why you are guaranteed that you will be afflicted is because Christ was afflicted. And if he is afflicted, he's our master. Are we greater than our master? The word of God would ask. No, we're not. And so just like he was afflicted, we will be afflicted. In verse 108, uh, we see there uh, a cry out to God that says, Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. Anytime that we are crying out to God, it's almost as if we are in desperation. 
the life that we live before God and we live in this world and this journey that we're on, it's hard because it's full of affliction. It's full of desperation. And the last thing that it's full of in in verse 110 is full of danger. Hear what the psalmist says. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. It would be natural that a heart that is suffering so much would be bound to give up. And so you kind of think about it. If we don't know what to expect, if we were told, hey, you know, the Christian life is going to be easy. You're never going to have affliction. You're never going to feel like you're in a, a sense of desperation. And there's no dangers out there. And the moment that you encounter affliction, desperation, or danger, what's going to happen? You're going to doubt, are you a Christian? Are you, you're going to doubt that you're going to safely arrive home on your journey. But the psalmist doesn't give us that. The psalmist doesn't allow that doubt to grow. Because what we see in the psalmist is a resolve. The more that I'm afflicted, the more that I cry out in desperation, the more that I encounter danger, what am I going to do? I'm going to stay the path. I'm not going to stray from the path. I'm going to stay on the path. Because your word is light to me. Your word is that which guides me. Because I need a guided heart. Because if my heart's not being guided, the moment those afflictions and desperation and dangers come, I'm out of here. It's like I give up. The journey's way too hard. I'm not continuing down this road. There's just no hope in doing that. And so we are told first about affliction that it's a part of the Christian life. As we said, all we have to do is look at the apostle and look at Jesus Christ. But we can also look at the apostle, Paul. He speaks about his afflictions constantly. When we're dealing with affliction and we see that the road is hard, it's because we've got to confront the idea that suffering must be explained. Does it? Does the book of Job tell us that God has to explain himself to us? No. God is sovereign. We are not. We are his creation. He never has to explain his suffering to us. That's not something that we like. Frankly, that's something that we wrestle with. And when we're afflicted, we're like, God, aren't we your child? And if we're your child, why are we afflicted so much? Why are we having such a hard time? Job never cursed God and sinned against God, but he questioned God for an answer. And God responded to him, were you there? When I set the foundations of the world, were you there? And what God is saying is that I'm not put on trial. The whole book of Job is almost like God is on trial. 
before his creation. That all those that come and speak to Job about his afflicted status, they counsel him to figure out what, they've done, what he's done wrong to make God so mad at him. But that's a wrong understanding of who God is. God is not living, is not uh, ruling in retribution. He's ruling because he's sovereign. And so when we consider suffering and affliction, we have to be okay that God's not going to explain to us why we're afflicted and why we suffer. The word of God tells us to be okay by learning the teaching and the instruction of Job. But in affliction, the word of God reveals to us the proper evaluation of it and its end. Paul is afflicted in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. But he tells us affliction produces an eternal weight of glory. The road is hard. The heart needs to be guided to see what affliction is all about. Affliction is all about to see us and draw us, to bring us to see the value of eternity. Because affliction doesn't happen in eternity if we're with God. Affliction happens here on this earth. And through our sicknesses and our sufferings, there's a better place that is waiting us. There is a better weight that will hold more worth and hold more value than any suffering or affliction can in this present day. And second, God's word guides us when we are desperate and without hope. The reason why God's word guides us when we are desperate and without hope is because it strengthens us when life has overwhelmed us. Paul speaks about that thorn in the flesh. And he says that God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Because when sins, when those weaknesses are overwhelming us in life, the word of God says, don't look at your power, look at the power of God. Look at the power of Christ, the power that can't be explained, but overwhelms your weakness. God's word guides us when fear has overthrown us. Think about the disciples on the boat in the midst of the storm. This is what it is to have God's word guide you. Does the word of God give an example? Does God's word give us an illustration, an application that what it is saying and guiding us through fear, through desperation is real? All we have to do by God's grace is open up the word of God and see that the disciples, those that had great knowledge, had close relationship with Christ, that were in intimate relationship with him, were overthrown with fear at the storms even though the Savior was with them. Overthrown with fear in the midst of the storm. But the word of God guides us to hear Jesus' words. That Jesus is the sovereign because he is the sovereign. He can tell the storms to be quiet and tell the seas to be calm. And he can safely bring them to the other shore. 
That's what the word of God does. That's what the word of God does in guiding us to that place where Jesus is all in all. Third, the word of God guides us when we are desperate in hope because it gives us hope when hope cannot be found. Romans 5, 5 says that, that hope, the hope that we have makes us not ashamed. It's not a weak hope. So often that we believe that hope is only good hope if we can see what it is that we're hoping for. But the word of God says that if we see what we hope for, then why should we hope? Because it's not real hope. Hope is looking to something that we cannot see and trusting in the one who holds everything. In Christ Jesus, with God our Savior. Lastly, God's word guides us when we are in danger. How does it guide us? Think of Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. There's danger all around us. Satan's arrows are flying all around and the word of God tells us to take up the shield of faith. If we are in the midst of danger, what answer are we looking for? The word of God gives us the answer, guides us to the place that we can have protection. It it reassures us in our doubts. All we have to do is look at Romans 8, 28. That tells us that that, that everything is working in a concert together for those who love God. Even the bad stuff. The good stuff, the bad stuff, the not-so-bad stuff, the not-so-good stuff. It's all working in concert to do one thing, and that is to fulfill the purpose of God. And so when we're in danger, when life isn't going the way that we want or the enemies are attacking, we can find certainty not in who we are apart from Christ, but who we are in, in our relationship with Christ. Because we find certainty within his sovereignty. And third, it preserves us in the power of his care, his love and grace. That's what the word of God does. It directs us to go find that, to cling to that. Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you afraid? Are the dangers overwhelming you? Are the sorrows too much for you to bear? Well, the word of God guides you and directs you home. The word of God cares for you and brings you into the presence of your God that you may have peace. And we come to our final question tonight. And this is the biggest question that we confront and encounter all the time when we have people traveling to Israel. Is it safe? So much that we even have a whole pamphlet that talks about, will we be safe? And we explain crime statistics about what's going on in America and puts them in relationship to what's going on in Israel. But that's a natural question too. That's a natural question for God's people. Will we be safe? 
And really what we're saying is, how do we know we'll be safe? And the psalmist tells us that too. He tells us because God is with us. If God is not with us, then we are not safe on this path or this journey. The path is too dark and the road is too hard for us to ever uh, come home safely and be with our Father in heaven. But God is with us. And the reason why that we got, know that God is with us is because he gives us things. He gives us his voice. He speaks to us. He directs us and he guides us. In verse 106, what does he give us? He gives us righteous rules. In verse 106 and 108, he's giving us rules. And we see that there's different terminology that's used here in the psalm when it begins to speak about righteous rules, precepts, statutes, testimonies, ordinances. All of those have their special place in God saying to us that he's with us. They have their special place in saying that you're safe, that you can trust me because I'm speaking to you. I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not giving, letting you figure out your own GPS. I've given it to you. I'm giving you the coordinates. And I'm not only giving you the coordinates, I'm giving you the guidepost to direct you home. Because what are righteous rules? Righteous rules are decrees, they're edicts, they're commandments and statutes that God has ordered. If God has ordered them, then they're good. If God has said that this is what we are to do, then we can trust them. And that's what, um, what we see here. The psalmist is saying when he says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. There could have been a doubt that says, my oath, what good is it? But yet I'm trusting in what you have ordered. What you have said, I have confidence not in, the, in what I am swearing apart from the rules in which you have given to me to trust your voice. And in verse 109, we hear this word law. And that word law is Torah. And when we hear the word Torah, we're talking about the teaching and direction for life. And the teaching and the direction for life, what they are, they're principles that are given to God's people for their welfare. And so the way that God directs us and tells us that we're going to be safe is that he's giving us rules in our life and teaching and instruction in our life that's good for us. It's good for us to delight upon the law of the Lord. Why is it good to delight upon the law of the Lord? Because in those uh, teachings and their directions, God is communicating to us his goodness. He's communicating to us that he sees us and that he is bringing welfare to us in the midst of this darkness in which we live. Third, the way that God tells us that he is with us and that we are safe are through precepts. 
In verse 110, it says, The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. I don't stray from the guiding principles or rules that control or influence and regulate my conduct. God gives very uh, clear teachings and instructions called precepts to govern our actions, to govern the way that we live. He also gives us testimonies. In verse 111, 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my hope. And what this is, is that there are earthly edicts, ordinances that God gives in creation to give witness to his plans and his purposes. For instance, when he ordered the building of the tabernacle, that's the testimony of God's grace because it pointed to a greater tabernacle, Christ Jesus. The people could have confidence that God was going to pitch his tent with them because he was going to send his son. They may not have known it fully then, but we know it now. That when Jesus came and lived among this world with us, he tabernacled among us. And the reason why that God had ordered that the people were to build the tabernacle is that they could know his plans and his purpose in this world. And finally, God makes it clear that he is with us and that we are safe through statutes. In verse 112, it says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes. And statutes are the written law that are given by God for governing. So let us not resist God's commandments. Let us not resist what God tells us to do. Because when God speaks to us and tells us what to do, he's saying, I am with you. I am leading you. I am guiding you. And that's because his guiding presence is found within his word. No other place but in his word. We're not alone in this journey. Our great God is with us. And when we know that, we can be assured that we are safe. And when we have reassurance Notice what the psalmist does. In verse 1-6, he says, I'll remain steadfast, right? He's saying that I have sworn an oath and confirmed it. In other words, I'm not going to get off of my oath. I'm going to remain steadfast in my love and devotion to you. Notice at the core where that devotion and that commitment comes. It comes in knowing your God. The psalmist is resolved to have steadfast love and commotion and a devotion to God because God is speaking through his righteous rules. When we have reassurance, that knowing reassures us and it causes us to worship him and depend upon him. That's what it is to give free will offerings of praise is to Lift your life up in worship of God. And in 111, it re, that reassurance causes us to cling to his promises forever. His testimonies. 
what God has spoken in edict in this world to speak about his plans and his purpose, what are they to God's people? They are our heritage. They are the witness that we belong to God. And we have been made his people. And so I hope tonight we can see that the guide will make or break your journey. If you try to travel this journey without the guidance of the word of God, it will be a road that you cannot travel. It will be a road that will not bring you home because sooner or later you're going to fall off into one ditch or the other or you're going to lose your way altogether and you will have no guideposts to show you the way that you need to go. But the word of God guides our hearts. And because it guides our heart, we can be assured that God has given it. God has given his word to guide us that we would not be alone in this world. Take comfort in that, people. We need to take great comfort in that, that our God has not left us in this world alone.